Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. I'm super excited about the topic that the Lord gave us for today. And we are going to talk about what it means to come in in preparation of going out. And there's several different scripture references and several stories that are just incredible that we're going to talk about uh, today. But I want to start with Matthew 6, 6. And it says this, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. And as I've read over this scripture several times this week, several different stages of my life have sort of flashed through my memory. So where it says, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father. And I can remember back at a certain season of my life when you would go into your room or any room, even the bathroom, and shut the door, there were little fingers that would come underneath the door. And I don't care if you were in the bathroom or trying to have a spiritual moment, there were very few of those moments to be had, right? And sometimes you just have to purpose in your own heart, even though they're screaming and pounding and mom hollering, I'm going to take 10 minutes, right? And then there are stages in your life like mine right now where we are in the, I don't know, we're having, we get into it and then we get out of it. But my youngest daughter went to college the fall of 2019. So we had one semester of her away and then we had COVID. So then they were both back home. And then one went back and one is between uh, grad school and graduating. So we sort of have one, then we have none, then we have 15, then we have three, then we have nobody, then we have 30. I mean, and it's crazy, right? So moments though, In my stage of life, I can get a few moments where there's nobody at home. But it isn't any easier to just sit and soak and listen to the Lord. There is always going to be distractions. There will always be a storm. That's something that Mallory and I have been talking about. I think in our mind we think. When we get to this phase, then I will make time to come in and spend time with the Lord. Or when all of these problems are worked out, I am really going to get serious about abiding and spending time with the Lord. I can tell you, it never is going to come. There's never going to be perfect situations in your relationships all problems with your children answered, no battles to fight, all the laundry done, all the dishes put away. And now my husband is on a hunting trip and I'm going to have a quiet moment with the Lord. That doesn't happen. So it is about us purposing to come in and abide in the presence of the Lord. 
It is learning the principle that Jesus modeled for us to go down into the bottom of the boat as the storm rages to find peace in what it is that he has to say to you. So we're going to be talking about going out and coming in. So before we get started, I think that it's likely more natural for us to be one of two. Either it's more natural for you to come in or more natural for you to go out. So I want you to think about which one of those are you, and then I want you to give me an example of that. So if you would say, it's really much more natural for me to come in and to abide and maybe not think so much about the battle that's raging out there, but to come in. Who would say, I'm, I'm better, more naturally bent at coming in? In, in my heart, I really want to be like that. But sometimes what happens to me is in the morning and I'm trying to come in and then all of these things that I have to go out and do just floods my thought. And then I have wasted all of my come in time worried about my going out. Um, another thing that I remember at different seasons of, of life is I would spend two hours driving around saying, I am so sorry, God, that I have not spent time, quality time. And the Lord's like, okay, just do that right now. Like you've spent two hours regretting that you don't do it instead of just doing it. So it's pretty easy to tell that going out is easier for me than coming in. So who would say going out is kind of my, I'm more naturally bent towards going out. Something that I've started doing, because what happens to me is if I'm trying and there is a load of laundry that needs to be folded, I'll do that. I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to come right back. So now I have to leave the house. And if that's walk around the block or even if I'm even on the back porch, it helps for me to not think, oh, I could real quick do that instead of be focused on what I'm trying to do. I love that he never gets tired of, of your things. Even when we were talking earlier about what's your pet peeve, there's nothing about you that he would say is a pet peeve. There are certainly things about us that he's working on and that he wants you to have complete freedom in, but there is nothing about you that he goes, I hate it when you smack your food. You know, there is nothing that you can do that would make him want anything except to be in intimate connection with you. So my issue, one of them, I got a lot of them, but one of them is I do not like to feel uncovered or vulnerable. And if I do feel vulnerable, my response is always going to be to move as fast as I possibly can. And a couple of examples, one just happened this week. I went, I don't like girly things. Like those questions, who that gives me anxiety attack. I do not enjoy doing that. I am not creative at all. 
Um, and so I went though, cause I have, my mentor is one of the most creative, precious, nothing like me. She is so precious, darling, loves everybody, everything. She invited me to go to this women's night where we were painting a painting. So first we have to choose, are we going to paint a cactus? Or are we going to paint flowers? And I'm like, oh, Lord, I am a cactus, so let's paint the flowers. So I picked the flowers. Well, when I get there, I'm already nervous. There's a sweet girl that I know that's going to be leading the painting. And I, she's like, are you ready? I'm like, no, I hate this. I'm not good at this. And she goes, well, you probably should have picked the cactus then because that's for the in the lines people. I'm like, already failing. You know, so we sit down and we start painting the painting and I am almost done in the first five minutes. And I mean, I am painting flowers, leaves, you know, that doesn't look like that. And I mean, I'm just overboard. And my friend is like, what are you doing? You are almost done. I'm like, I know, I know, I, but it's, you know, she's like, we have two hours. You've been here for 10 minutes. Like take a drink of your tea. And it was the most stressful experience, but I enjoyed watching her enjoy the painting. Right. And then when I leave, I'm like, how sad is that, that you cannot simmer down long enough to enjoy, even if the thing, it doesn't look good anyway. You were stressed out and it still doesn't look good. So you should have just had fun and who cares what it looks like. But in my mind, it is like move as fast as you can. Um, another moment that I will never forget that this is exactly how I responded. It was our 10th wedding anniversary. And at this point in our life, my kids were in elementary school and I was trying to finish my degree at WT and I was working here. And so our 10th anniversary comes up. Brian surprises me with a cruise. And I don't usually get surprised because I am such a control freak that I will find out somehow. But I really did not know. Two days before, he gives me the tickets to this cruise. Well, he had planned everything. He had my sister go buy me clothes for the cruise. He had our kids taken care of. And literally 48 hours, we are on this cruise. And I'd never been on a cruise. I was a little anxious about that. So when we get on the boat, he says, I've picked our excursions and what you're going to, we're going to do. The first thing is going to be to snorkel. I'm like, nope, I am not doing that. I do not want my legs dangling down in the water when you don't know what is down there and I am not going to do it. Well, okay, well, all we're going to do is go out on this boat and then you don't have to get off if you don't want to. And I'm like, I am not, I'm not getting off and I'm already mad at him because I feel, you know, vulnerable and anxious. So out we go and I, all the way, I'm not doing it. He's like, fine, you, you don't have to do it. Just be on the boat, you know, so we get out there. Well, the bottom, the back part of the boat opens up and everybody is going off into the ocean. Now, it is also cloudy and a little bit stormy. It's kind of sprinkling and the water is rough. So I sit there and I watch everybody on the boat go off, including 80-year-old people and two-year-old people. <laughs> And I'm sitting there like, I am so mad at you right now. I'm going to do it. You know, so I put this stuff on and he's like, 
I'll stay right with you. You don't have to be nothing to be scared of. I'll be right with you. I'm like getting myself on. And I mean, I take off out of there and I am swimming a hundred miles an hour. He cannot keep up with me at all. And I don't know where I'm swimming to. I'm just swimming fast. And then it occurs to me, well, at least look down because you want to be able to tell the kids you saw a fish, right? <laughs> so I am swimming, leaving wake behind me and stick my head down to try to see a fish. The most amazing thing happened. As soon as I got my ears below the water, it was completely peaceful. And I could see fish, you know, I caught my breath. If I raised my head up, there was still a storm happening. But if I would purpose to put my head down and listen and allow the Lord to minister to me, even though the storm is still raging, there was peace. And it completely changed the environment. So we're going to talk today about the difference between coming in and going out, and both of them are important. But it is a balance that the Lord creates in our life because when you come in, He prepares you for the going out. And so we're going to start today talking about veiling. When is it appropriate to veil? So I want us to start with the story of Isaac and uh, Abraham sending the servant to find Isaac's wife. So you'll remember, Isaac was the son of the promise, and um, his wife, Sarah, gives birth to uh, Isaac, Abraham's wife, gives birth to Isaac late in life. And we learn from reading about Sarah's death that Isaac was probably really close to his mom. And he mourned the death of his mom. And Abraham is getting older. And so he wants Isaac to have a wife. And he wants the wife to come from their people, not from the Canaanites where they were living. And so we're going to pick up in this story. Abraham sends his servant to, to find this wife. Now, that's some pressure. I mean, this is the child that these people have prayed for. And the Lord has blessed them abundantly. And Abraham is a rich man. And this is the chief servant to Abraham. And Abraham says, hey, no pressure, but I want you to go and find me the woman that God has chosen for Isaac. And uh, so off this servant goes, and you remember he comes up to this watering well, and he has 10 camels, and he says, um, okay, God, I'm going to ask somebody for a drink. And the first one that says, here's a drink, and I'm going to give water to your camels, that's going to be her. And that's exactly what happened. He sees Rebecca come up. He asks her for a drink. She offers to water the camels. And then she takes um, him back to her house that night. And he arranges for her to go back with him uh, to meet Isaac. So that's where we're going to pick up. This is Genesis 24, starting in verse 62. 
Isaac also, this dude was the most incredible son on the planet because he is the same Isaac that went up on the mountain with Abraham and laid himself down as a grown man to be sacrificed. Um, he also, same Isaac, okay, dad, send the servant back, bring me back a wife, right? That's some faith. Now, Isaac had returned and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So this is actually where we think the tradition of a bride veiling herself came from, was when Rebekah rode up, and she sees Isaac, and she veils herself the first time that he is going to see her. Another time that we read of someone veiling their face is in Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 29. I'm going to read 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain... Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in again to speak with him. And so there are actually three reasons that we would, spiritually speaking, veil. The first one is, it is a sign of purity. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The second reason is, it's a display of modesty. It should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And then the third reason that we would veil is out of submission. That's James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the three reasons are purity, modesty, and submission. And my question is, do we veil ourselves appropriately? 
because particularly in the story of Moses, when Moses went in before the Lord, he unveiled. He was completely vulnerable and uncovered and exposed in the presence of the Lord. When he came out, he allowed people to see the glory of the Lord, which is basically from your time that you spend in an intimate relationship with the Lord. You show, it shows, you know, when you encounter somebody that is intimate in private with the Lord. But then when we come out, that is when we veil. Now, something that occurs to me is that in our society, we really have this quite backwards. In the culture that we live in, we don't have very many private things at all. Um, does anybody happen to know what TV show it was that was the first time on television that a married couple slept in the same bed? It was the Brady Bunch. It was the Brady Bunch. And if you ever watched the Brady Bunch, they also had robes, long gowns. He had on pajamas. Those sheets were tight. And I mean, they are in there. And uh, But that was the beginning of, you know, primetime TV or whatever it was, allowing two married people to be in the same bed together. Now, I was just telling Mallory, I have a few shows that I still like to watch. And I have been so convicted this last week because I'm like, you have compromised way too much. But one of the shows that I really like, have liked, is New Amsterdam. Have y'all ever watched that? Never again, uh, you can attest. Okay, so I had been out of town I'm, and I've made allowances for that show of things that I disagree with, but I really like that character, whatever, and they don't usually talk about that. So I had come home, and I was the only one watching it. Thank goodness Brian was asleep. I turned on New Amsterdam, and the first scene in this episode, it took me probably 10 seconds to even realize it was the show I was trying to watch. But it was a homosexual sex scene. I would have been offended if it had been a married couple, but it was the worst scene I have ever seen on just regular television. And so I turned it off. Um, things like that. There is something wrong that we have lost a respect for the act of sex. Then we wonder why it is that we have the problems that we do, and we need ministries like Hope Choice. But we've started telling children from the time they're two and three years old that they should have a boyfriend, and they should be able to dress any way they want, and no one should think any way about you. You should be able to talk any way you want, watch anything you want. You should be able to be whoever you dream up that you should be. Now we have 200 or something genders. We have gotten so off track, and I'll tell you why I think it is, and this has nothing to do with this lesson. But <laughs> here's me going out again. Um, 
we have tried too hard to be too politically correct as the body of Christ. And it is far past time for you to use your mouth and to stand on the side that you stand on. And we have given up a ton of ground. And we have a lot of ground that we have to make up. But it is going to take every one of us saying, even if I am shaking in my boots, I do not agree with that. Okay, so here's the other statistic that I was going to share with you back on. Um, Pornography. This is another thing. We don't have modesty. We don't have purity. We don't have submission to authority. Um, Pornography. The statistic is if a boy is 18 or younger and he has any kind of a device, and it doesn't matter if it's a cell phone or an iPad, it doesn't matter if you have it filtered, nothing. If he's 18 or younger, 93% of boys say they struggle with some level of addiction to pornography. Um, all of the young men in my life, they will say, if the, if the boy has access to YouTube or Instagram, 100% they have seen pornography more than once. And it doesn't matter if your son is 8 or 5 or 10. If he has the device, it is in his face. The statistics for girls who admit they struggle with some level of addiction to pornography under the age of 18 is 62%. 62% of girls. And we own that. We are the Moses generation. We are teaching these younger generations what is appropriate and what isn't. What is the will of God and what isn't. And we cannot continue to spit in the face of all the things that God calls beautiful and sacred. There are situations, relationships that should be veiled, that should be protected. Um, Social media is for all of us. I have seen, it's almost like if you don't post about it, it didn't even happen. If there is not, you know, some kind of a social media documentation, it never even happened. People say things about their spouses, even their children. I am like, do not uncover each other like that. For why? because we're gaining some kind of affirmation and identity through people's responses. And it's just a very unprotected, very vulnerable, it is not in the secret place, and we are not protecting things that should be valued and we should see as beautiful. Intimacy is defined as closeness, a close friendship, or a private atmosphere. So when we enter into that private place of closeness with God, there is no need for a veil. Because He sees you as pure and beautiful. He is the one that creates a pure heart in you. Your quiet and gentle spirit is pleasing to Him. And when we are submitted to him, then he is able to protect us. So coming in means just what Matthew 6, 6 says. Coming into the secret place. 
uncovered, completely vulnerable, fully exposed before God, who is your Savior, your Creator, your Bridegroom. He's your protector. And in the safety and security of the secret place, you can be completely vulnerable. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we want to follow the example of Moses. When we enter into the presence of the bridegroom, we want to unveil. And we're going to trust him to reveal to us who it is that we are. Part of the problem is we're going out unveiled on social media and with our friends and into the world. And we're saying, tell me who I am. And the Lord's saying, no, you have that so backward. You were supposed to come into the secret place where I am the one who tells you who you are, what your calling is, what are we working on, what have we come a long way toward. You get to say, I am really struggling with that lady that's always behind me in the pickup line. You know, whatever it is, but then he deals with those things. He speaks identity to you. You veil, and then you're ready to go out and face the culture and face the giants that he has placed before you. The only other time that you would come out into the, you know, a very vulnerable place when you're not veiled is when the Lord has asked you to deliver a message. And you need to hear from him in the secret place, just like Moses did. Come out and deliver what it is that he said, and then you veil, because that veil is protecting your heart, and it's guarding your heart, and it's protecting that identity. But sometimes, I think particularly Christian women, we might do a better job of respecting the intimacy of our marriage maybe more than we do the intimacy with the Lord. And what I mean by that is, if you have ever been having a quiet time and the Lord speaks something very profound to you, directly to your heart, and the first thought that you have is, oh, I need to tweet that. Something that the Lord reminds me of oftentimes is not everything that I say to you in a quiet time is a speech. Some things that happen when you come into the secret place is just between you and God. It isn't for you to go tell anybody. It is those kinds of moments, actually probably more of those than the other. It's like in your marriage. When you go into the room with your husband and shut the door and the conversations that you have and the intimacy that you experience, that is for no one else to know. That is the kind of intimacy that the Holy Spirit and God wants to have with you. And he won't trust you with some very deep, deep things if he thinks you're just going to go and devalue it by sharing it on social media or talking about it at coffee. Now, there are definitely times when the Lord will want you to share with someone, and I'm not saying that. But I'm saying protect the intimacy of your relationship 
with the Lord in much the same way that you would your marriage. We live in a culture that tells everything. <clears throat> and the culture goes against the word of God almost around every corner. The word tells us that we are to love, but it tells you to love wisely. And it says, above all else, you guard your heart. So we should, on many occasions, be much more veiled. And we should always listen to what he has to say above what anyone else does regarding our identity or our value. I want to talk to you about Solomon. This is in 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 5. This is the scripture that started my whole train of thought on coming in and going out. 1 Kings 3, verse 5. This is the moment when God says to Solomon, Okay, you are the new king. Now what would you ask of me? At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. So yes, absolutely, Solomon did ask, make me wise, help me to be able to discern good from evil. But what he leads with is, my dad, David, he knew how to go out and to come in. And so that's the principle that we're going to be talking about throughout the day. How do we go out? And how do we come in? And we're going to end this time with, I want us to take communion together. This is one of the most intimate, personal acts uh, that we can do um, with the Lord. And, and I want to just share a little bit with you. If you've done the feasts, if you haven't ever studied the Jewish feasts, you should. It was the most life-changing thing I've ever studied. But I want to read to you out of Isaiah 53, <clears throat> starting in verse 4, it says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And something that I have made a practice to try and focus when I am coming in is to take communion just by myself almost every day. And when I do that, I remind myself of what this passage says about his body and what happened to him physically when he was crucified. It says that he was pierced for our transgressions. A transgression is when you break the rules, when you color outside of the lines. That's a transgression. It says he was crushed for our iniquity. That word means a grossly immoral sin. So he was pierced and crushed for when I make a mistake and I break the rule, and also when I willingly, grossly sin. It says he was chastised for our peace. To be chastised means to be severely rebuked and severely reprimanded for your peace. And it was by his wounds that we were healed. And so in a minute, when we take the bread, we're going to recognize out loud, you experienced all of the, it cost him a lot not just for my salvation, but thank God that he went all the way to the cross. But he was pierced, crushed, chastised, wounded beyond recognition so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have peace, and so that I could be healed. And so when we don't remind ourselves and we don't walk in such a way that we remember that, one of my prayers almost every day is, help me appropriate everything that you paid for in your crucifixion and resurrection. I don't want to leave anything on the table. And then the wine, definitely it represents the blood of Christ. And we get the Lord's Supper from... Um, his last supper, the night that he was arrested. Um, but in the Jewish tradition, when a bridegroom is going to propose to his bride, he doesn't do it with a ring. He does it with a cup of wine. And he will go to the father of his bride-to-be, and they will come to an agreement on what the bride price is going to be. And Jesus did that. He told the Lord, he told God, I will give everything, including my life, as a bride price for my bride, which is you, the church. And then that bridegroom will go to his bride and he will offer her a cup of wine. And if that Jewish bride-to-be receives that cup, that is her receiving his proposal to be the bride. So when you take communion, it represents the blood of Jesus, and it is also his invitation to you to be, as the church, his bride and the bride of Christ. 
So if you will, you should have um, some juice right there. And if you'll pass that uh, matzah bread around. I'm just going to pray for us and we're going to recognize the Lord and all that he has given for us. So God, we thank you for this bread that does represent your body. And God, I thank you that when you were beaten and when you were chastised and you were humiliated, you were silent, God. And I just ask that you would teach me when to speak and when to be silent. God, that you would teach us when to speak and when to be silent, that we might be a reflection of your glory. And we thank you, God, that you were bruised, that you were pierced for our transgressions every time we break a rule. And we thank you, God, that you were crushed for our iniquity when we grossly and willfully are immoral. And God, we thank you that you received chastisement so that we could have peace and that you were wounded so that we could be healed. So God, today we choose to walk as a bride who is forgiven, who walks in peace, and who has complete healing. And so we take the bread, God, in Jesus' name, in honor of all that you sacrificed for us. And Lord, Lord, we thank you too for the cup. We thank you that it, all sin, God, requires a blood sacrifice. And I thank you, Jesus, that no one took your life from you, but you willingly laid it down for us. And God, I thank you for what that means, God, not only for our eternity, but for our todays. And Lord, The cup speaks value to us. And it is your invitation to be your bride and to represent you here. Um, And we are not lost on that, God. That is a beautiful picture for us. And we thank you for that, Lord. Help us to be a pure and a spotless bride. And continue to grow us and teach us and change us, God. Thank you, God for purity and modesty, and we do submit to you as our King and as our Father, as our Savior, and as the Bridegroom, Lord. And we take the cup in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.